the whole time so that she could do it in her neighborhood. And I said, well, I do house calls if you wanted me to come and do it in your neighborhood. So uh, it, it was a blessing, a super encouraging uh, time together. Uh, we love celebrating moments in our community life. And this weekend, we had another 11-year wedding anniversary. Kevin and Joella had this. Uh, there's a woman with a whole lot of blonde in that picture. That's crazy to me. It's so fun looking at this. But we also had this last week another wedding celebration of, do we know who this is? Can we tell who this is? 46 years? Is that, is that where we're at? We're, 47 years for, next slide, for this handsome couple. Uh, haven't changed a bit. But I like how you have matching hair color now. <laughs> then and now, same color. Oh, that is fun, fun stuff. Well, at this time, we want to um, have our teachers um, stand up in the back and have the kids meet them in the back and line up because we want to send you to continue your time of teaching with this blessing. And so all together we say, may you, uh oh we need to say, uh, the Lord bless you as you continue your time of worship. Nailed it. Nailed it. Hey friends, I want to also tell you, uh, we have uh, some exciting development in, in, uh, in the life of Mission Hills Church. Uh, we are... Um, I, I began praying a, a little while ago, a couple months ago, and just asking the Lord for his provision and asking for God. We went through a transition time. Um, as we went into the new year, we had to do some belt tightening. Um, Theo had been on staff for our first couple years and helped us basically get set up and in the really strong position we are organizationally. Uh, but he also was battling some, um, some health concerns that he needed to give his time and attention too. Uh, and so we had hired a bookkeeper who's now uh, being able to do a lot of the work that Theo was kind of um, <clears throat> Mission Hill's Swiss Army knife. Uh, he was doing treasure stuff and he was doing a lot of stuff to keep us uh, unexposed from a liability standpoint. He was doing all of the budgeting, all of the forecasting. Uh, he was writing, cutting checks. Um, and so we just had a hard time breaking up his job. It's kind of nice when you're uh, a strong contributor and irreplaceable, but we are inching our, our, uh, our way towards uh, finding some uh, care. And um, I've been praying about this for a couple of months, and I went this week and asked someone if they would consider taking a job, and they said yes. And so we've created a new position called church administrator. And our very own Mr. Bill Nelson said, yes, count me in. Now, did he just step out? Is he... <laughs> He's already at work. Uh, <laughs> Bill, we're talking about you. Uh, but uh, I, I, uh, I'm really happy. Bill and I, uh, along with a few others, started an apprenticing relationship where we, I took the, the rhythms and wanted to deliver some content. But one of the things that I've always said about discipleship is it needs a laboratory as much as it needs content. And so... Uh, I, I, uh, I wanted to continue this and say, uh, Bill, I, I want to keep working with you and keep doing ministry. Bill, we're totally talking about you. 
hard at work already. Uh, and so Bill enthusiastically said yes, I, I have to say. Uh, but he's only in his first week, so uh, may, may, maybe the enthusiasm will be short-lived. The honeymoon will get over. But uh, I, I felt like God's timing and provision was a part of it, both for them and for us. Uh, Bill had uh, unofficially retired, uh, taking some engineering contracts a couple years ago. They had moved into a new house that he kind of became the general contractor for. Uh, and uh, now that that's winding up, Connie and him were having conversations about, he needs a job. He needs something to do uh, other than her to-do lists. And uh, that morning that we had met, Bill had had a call for another opportunity and just didn't feel like it was right. Uh, and it was a lot more lucrative than ours. Uh, and so uh, I met with him that afternoon and um, asked if he would, and I gave him a job description of a church administrator position. And this is technically a non-board uh, unpaid position, uh, but it is a staff position. Uh, and uh, he said, I'll do it. I want, I was, well, I mean, maybe you want to pray about it or talk to Connie. He's like, nope, I want to do it. I want to do it. Sign me up. So um, God continues to provide um, even in kind of unexpected places. So I'm grateful for that. Well, I want to start tonight with some, in an unusual way, something I've never done before, and I want to start with an illustration uh, that I used last week. I want to start with a story that I told of a book by Gary Moon uh, called Becoming Dallas Willard, and at the end of the book, he's reflecting with his wife, uh, and the reason I want to tell is because it continues on our conversation about what does it mean for us to work out our salvation. The idea that we are saved is not just being saved from something, we're also being saved to something, and that's super important when you think about a growing life in Christ, a living faith, and so there's this picture where they're kind of grieving the loss of Dallas Willard. He and his wife are having a conversation in a parking lot, and in the parking lot, they're sitting there kind of going back and forth, deep in thought but a lady knocks on the door by uh, on the driver's side window he rolls it down and they said well are you going to be here for a while and he says I, I uh for the foreseeable future yes and she says well i'm playing in uh, w with my dog in the back we've been coming here for years and years but my dog's blind and if you were to back up my dog wouldn't know to move out of the way so if you decide that you're done talking would you just let me know uh, so I can help him get out of the way. Well, uh, he says, sure, I'll let you know. We're, we're not going anywhere anytime soon. But as they continued deep in thought, they started hearing this rhythmic sort of scraping uh, within the parking lot asphalt, kind of the loose pebbles. And what the lady was doing was carving out this large um, uh, figure eight. And the dog had like a tennis ball in her mouth. And the way Gary Moon described it, it was almost like he was smiling. And the lady kept backing up with the sound of her voice, this blind dog that they had been doing this for years and years and years, saying, I got you. I can see you. I'm with you. And the dog just following the lead of her voice. And as Gary and his wife were watching this, this sort of tender moment, this sort of impassioned care, for, for this blind old dog, he said, I had this very distinct impression about what God was revealing to me, that we are, I am, like the dog. And, and, um, and, and God is this owner guiding me along. I love you. I got you. Listen for my voice. I'm right here. 
all the while making noises all around us. And we, like children of faith with Braille, trying to feel our way through God's will, God's care, God's provision, God's comfort, are blindly following after God, but all the while God making himself known and showing himself in the most loving ways, if and when we're able to pay attention. That story struck me in such a way uh, because of God's tender care, even in darkness, even in hardship, even in despair. There's a story that I want to dive into tonight, and maybe you want to pull out, the, take some notes. I updated um, our, our app and have some more detailed message notes in the app, if you just want to follow along there, I even included some of the scripture in the outline. But there's a story that comes to us that will sound really familiar. And one of the things I love is taking a familiar passage of scripture and maybe shedding new light, almost like a prism where you just do a little quarter turn on it and it gets a real freshness to it. If you ever grew up playing the game Boggle uh, and you look at all those letters and then someone just does a little quarter turn, and you're like, oh, I didn't even see those words. That's what I think it might feel like tonight. Luke chapter 5 is Jesus not minding his own business. And it's the picture of Jesus going to tradesmen who are out fishing, had been up all night fishing, and now hadn't caught anything, and were actually in the process of cleaning the nets. Jesus shows up with kind of a, a lack of care or respect for the trade. Have you ever had someone show up to your work and try and give you a little direction on what you know is your topic? Have you ever had someone try and out-doctor you when they're not a doctor? Have you had someone try and out-design you because they looked at a magazine and now they know? Have you had someone try and out-invest you or give you some investment strategy or something where you're like, oh my gosh, tread lightly this is my topic. I know you're the son of God, uh, but I know fishing. And I've been up all night, and we didn't catch anything, and my nets are now clean, and he gives them, go throw them in again. So Luke chapter 5, I hope this passage comes alive maybe in a fresh way tonight. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw the water's edge and two boats left there by fishermen who, who were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, one belonging to Simon, who, uh, who we call Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And then when he had finished speaking, uh, he says, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And he's like, <laughs> master, we've worked hard all night, but we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down my nets. Now, this passage, I think, is worth noting because Peter had had a bad night fishing. And here comes Jesus, a non-fisherman, telling him what to do. So one of the things I want to talk about tonight is the notion of when we work out our salvation, what we're really doing is working out our obedience. Will we, can we follow when we don't understand, when we don't like it, when we don't agree with it? Will we still follow? It's not my president. I didn't vote for him. So therefore, it gives me every right to totally curse him and crucify him. Really? Really? 
Because the Bible says, pray for those who lead you. God has a way of inviting me into following to ways that I don't like and don't understand and don't agree with. But the way I work out my salvation is through obedience. Now, you're like, Dad, gummit, this would have been a great night to skip because I didn't really want to hear a night about obedience. Okay, I have sermon number two. It's called repentance. No. Um, but the idea is Peter demonstrates obedience, albeit reluctant, maybe cynical, he demonstrates obedience with doubt, with maybe a, a low-lying kind of frustration because he's been up at night, maybe he's bothered. But why does that even matter? And it matters all the difference is because this, this, friends, this is faith. Faith is always a mixture. None of us have perfect faith. It always feels like faith and obedience is going to be a cocktail. That should be really good news. Do you remember the story about, uh, if you ever watched Prince of Egypt and um, God was going to send this angel of death, it was the first Passover. I don't know if you remember this, but if you have kids and you watched like Prince of Egypt, you know the story a little bit, or maybe you grew up with it in Sunday school, but the story is really significant. God was going to deliver his people out of slavery. He was going to bring salvation. And so the, the sort of predicator of salvation was going to be their obedience. And so what did he say to do? Paint the blood of a lamb over your doorposts. What kind of witchcraft is that? Where does he get the precedence for that? But he says, do it. And so they had this way of part of their feast is sacrificing a lamb and then draining the blood, putting it in a bucket, and then start slapping it on. Well, they had never had to paint the doorpost, but when he sent the angel of death, if the blood was going to be over the doorpost, he would pass over and your family would live. This was how God was going to deliver God's people. But the but the thing was, it was, was not, it's when I see the blood, I will pass over. Not when I see huge faith or when I see or hear shouts of joy. When I hear your prayer, no, 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 no. Obey. Doesn't make sense? Obey. You don't want to? Obey. I mean, you have to think. Some of these people, they're paying their door posts. They're like, oh, I'm a fan of Moses. Moses said, I'll do it. Or some people are like, well, you told me to. I don't know, whatever. And it's like, listen, if you're sitting there with like 10% faith or 30% faith or 50% faith and the rest is doubt and the rest is um, annoyance and, and the rest is impatience, that's still faith. And faith and obedience is always going to be a cocktail. Come on now. If we keep waiting for 100%, we're going to be waiting our whole lives. If God's nudging you, if God's calling you into intimacy, if God's calling you into relationship, if God's calling you to take a next step, I would say you don't need perfect faith to see God move. But when you do the thing that he asks, uh, is it, your doing constitutes a transformational faith. You want to be transformed? Obey God. If faith is hard for you, good. Welcome to the club. 
It will always be a source of tension. It will always be a mix of some kind. So it doesn't matter that your faith is big or small. It doesn't matter that your faith is joyful or reluctant. What matters to God is your willingness to obey. Let God be God and follow the breadcrumbs. So I say obedience is always like this faith cocktail because whom among us has perfect faith? It's it's always going to be some combination of faith and doubt or faith and uh, cynicism, faith and guilt, faith and fear, faith and oh my goodness, that's my reputation. But obedience is the thing that actually honors God so that our lives become an act of worship, a living sacrifice, because we, through our obedience, declare the worth of God, not the worth of my own cunning, the worth of my own IQ, the worth of my own net worth. It's I trust you, Lord, even when I can't see. But we all end up feeling like the guy in Luke, uh, where he comes to Jesus and he's like, can you can you heal my son and he's like can I do it you know and he's like sure I can but this kind only comes out through faith and he's like Lord I believe but help my unbelief which feels like much of my prayer And he's like is it belief or is it doubt yes both welcome to the club God doesn't look at the amount of our faith when he invites us into this kind of following. Faith is in our doing, and it's always a mixture. So when God says something, and you're not sure it's okay, but you kind of wonder, well, is God, what is God saying to us? Is he calling you into maybe greater levels of time with kids? Maybe you should listen to that. Is it greater levels of generosity? Maybe God's been speaking to you with some level of conviction about spending time with people whose needs are different than your own. You're like, mm-mm, mm-mm, no. Um, maybe God's inviting you into greater levels of compassion because he wants to reshape your heart and it's become so calloused. He's like, I just want you to have a transformational experience, but it always starts with obedience, not perfect faith. And I think there's this temptation or tendency is that when you grow up in the church, you think that only wholehearted obedience cuts it, except that obedience is always combined with justification. It's always combined with maybe some kind of feeling unqualified. I mean, Jeremiah felt unqualified when he went out. Uh, Moses felt unqualified when he went out. Uh, He's like, oh man, I terrible speaker. You want me to leave a couple million people? He's like, go. Sometimes faith is always going to be combined or often combined with an unwillingness, i.e. Jonah, and he goes the opposite direction. The point is, perfect faith doesn't exist. God looks at us and says, just just show me the blood on the doorpost. I don't care if your faith feels strong or joyful or reluctant. Just show me the paint on the, or the blood on the doorpost. Just show me the, the net in the water. That's all I'm asking. Put the net in the water and that'll say enough. Sometimes we want to like work out our faith and know what it's going to look like. And what God is saying is, take that next step. So what is the next step? What is God inviting each of us into? That's why I was so excited when Bill was just like, yes. Because this has been something that they've been talking about and he's been praying about. Well, it's been something I've been praying about for a couple of months because I saw the need. I was like, Bill, your career has been really validating you became the man 
Like people were calling you and paying you really well to do a job. And you let that career be put to rest with the idea that God's going to do something new. God writing a new story, even though it feels like beginning again in your 60s? What? Yes, because there's no retirement in the, spirit, in, in the kingdom of God. And God's inviting us to take what little faith we have, even it's faith like a mustard seed, and walk in it. So obedience is always going to be a mixture, but the beauty, the beauty of the gospel is that obedience is what constitutes faith. Because James said it maybe best, he says, faith without works is dead. What we like to say around Mission Hills is, what is a belief without an action? That's why we have our sort of unifying practices together. I think there's two challenges in developing faith, um, and, and I would just say it this way, uh, believing without doing. I think there's a temptation to just give ourselves to mental assent. We believe God is this way. God's the resurrection, God's light, God's a provider, God's caring, but those become things that we cognitively believe, but we don't actually live out and trust. That God cares for the least of these, but that's God's job, that's not mine. That God cares for the widows, or God cares for the orphans, or God cares for the illegal alien. No, that's God's job. No, no, no. No, no, this is the transformational faith that he's invited us to participate in. We can't just believe. So we, we have this way of saying, well, I'm just going to believe, but I'm not going to do. Okay, that's called religion. And religion will end up either feeling kind of um, full of guilt or, or full of pride. Um, but it's God who does all these things. And, and it's religious because it's not a living faith. And, and so... Um, I think because we live in this intellectual or scientific world, we're kind of thinking about gaining more knowledge about doctrine is what the Christian life is all about. And listen, I think that good teaching is super important. I think Christian study of the word is really important. Um, but at some point we need to do. <laughs> sometimes we need to go. Uh, sometimes we need to yield and, 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 and say yes. So, so all the content that we get is really about the application of what we're doing. But I think there's not just doing without believing, there's doing and still feeling unworthy. This is really important, especially if you have kind of a guilty complex, especially if you still think God is really mad at you, uh, is that doing and still feeling worthy. You remember what Peter said here? At, at the recognition, he said, master which means that he knows his place. I haven't called anyone master lately, but what I do say is sirs and sometimes mister and missus, like I give terms of respect or your honor or something like this. But, but Peter in this moment says master, which means he knew his place. He's doing everything he can to follow Jesus <clears throat> and he still doubts, which is which is the goal of Peter's life, and that should probably be the goal of our life. I'm going to do whatever I can to follow Jesus, and even though it involves doubt, even though it involves cynicism, I'm going to do whatever I can because I'm going to know my place before my master, my Lord, my Savior. That's the vision for P Peter's life. He's going to take all his zeal, all of his two steps forward and one step back, all of his ear-chopping self, all of his enthusiasm and doubt, and he's like, 
Jesus, we fished all night. Don't tell me my business. And he's like, no, drop the nets again. He's like, they're already clean. Drop the dang nets. And he dropped the nets. And then all of a sudden, he's just having this overflow of catch that is starting to tear his nets and sink his boat. They're calling for help, reinforcements. The goal of Peter's life was to follow despite the doubt. What's, what's, what's the goal of your life? Early retirement? What's, what's the goal of your life? Like, like more money? Uh, more square footage? Peter's goal was knowing that he was master and giving his life to that even though he doubted. And again, every Christian's calling is what does Jesus want me to do? And this has to be encouraging news for those of us who feel like we're sometimes limping around with faith, not marching around. But the challenge then uh, is of unworthiness. And, and he goes on to say this. Uh, he says, Master, we've worked all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come in and, and help them. Uh, and, and when they came in, they filled both boats so that they, uh, so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Um, and then he says, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Oh, so apparently he has faith and fear among faith and doubt good news for me. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled up their boats on shore and left everything, and they just followed him. Um, and so in this moment, this challenge of unworthiness, there's so many fish that it creates this collateral damage. This is his livelihood. He's calling in his livelihood. Nets breaking, fishes, uh, boats are sinking, and when we yield our lives to God, there's oftentimes um, a detoured path, a new way. But, but in this moment, he says, depart from me. Even though he had obeyed and even though he let down his nets, he still, still felt unworthy to be in God's story. And here's what's beautiful. Did you see this? Jesus doesn't interrupt him in his unworthiness. He doesn't give him a, a really gratifying pep talk. Oh, no, 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 you're awesome. No, Peter, you're great. All he says is, which kind of implies, yeah, I agree, you're, you, you are unworthy. Just follow me. You still have what it takes to be like me. Jesus doesn't backhand him. Jesus doesn't give him a pep talk. He just goes, come, follow me. So then obedience as worship, that this, is, this becomes the challenge of our redirection, right? Uh, it says that he was astonished and the people were astonished. Or another translation in verse 9 would say amazed. It was, the, it was simply the byproduct of paying attention to what God was saying. Paying attention and doing what he asked. As you listen and respond to God, eventually you'll be amazed and you'll be saying, look, <laughs> look, look what God did. Look what God did in my neighborhood. Look what God did in my tribe. Look what God did in my marriage. Look what God did with my kids. Look, this is all possible when we're able to pay attention and simply respond. 
See, we can only really experience God when we learn to obey God. And until we learn to obey God, God is only a theory. God's not a relationship. He's a theory of what might work. But without obedience, it's not going to work. We're not going to have this personal encounter with him. And simply attending church over time is not enough. And that's why Mission Hills has carved out a really unique niche, a really kind of different rhythm, a, a different kind of way of being in community, growing in faith, and being on mission. And that's why we give the first Sunday, uh, first weekend of every month to not going church as worship, but church as tribe, because there's this way that we want to experience a living faith. There's, there's the only vision statement we really have is some shared rhythms together. Why? Because that's when we experience God because that's when we start to respond. But listen, people who never leave the church, over time, if you're just trying to get like transformed by, by a Sunday attend, it usually ends up in complaining. It usually ends up, the, the luster wears off. There's a lot of nitpicking going on. There's a lot of legalism going on in churches. And I would say, get out of church and go serve. Get in deep community locally and, and, and be able to practice your gifts in really tangible ways together, that will make a difference. It'll create the experience with God. This week, I would just welcome you, invite you, challenge you. Listen to God. Listen to the prompts and obey. Don't justify it. Don't dismiss it. Don't argue with it, but be amazed in God's story but don't be bored. I think with faith, there's always going to be a dissonance. With faith, there's always going to feel like a tension. But let me just tell you, dissonance is where God always speaks. And yet it's also the hardest to hear God. We think, I want to be on the mountaintop and speak to me with like a goosebump and a warm fuzzy. And he's like, yeah, no. God speaks in the tension. God speaks in the, in the despair, God speaks in the fertile valley, even though it's the valley. And I, I think um, the Christian life is really two things, whether feast or famine, quiet or frantic, it's pay attention. When God speaks to an area of your life, and secondly, respond in obedience, that's the transformational faith uh, uh, that I think is a living faith we're looking for. So can I just pray with you tonight about what faith and obedience, what paying attention and, and doing what might mean for each of us. Our Heavenly Father, I'm reminded that you've called each of us to a living faith, to a personal faith, um, but we all fully confess we don't have perfect faith. And so I pray that we would um, be able to walk in a sensitivity, a growing sensitivity to your presence that the kind of prompts that you give us, the kind of check in our spirit, the hesitation, the, the, the urgings, Lord, will you just make that more vividly clear to us and help us to have the courage um, and, and the faith to respond in obedience. So I just ask this question as you just, with your heads bowed and you're praying, does your what is your obedience what does obedience look like for you do you feel like god's been challenging you or prompting you in a certain way is there an area of your life that you struggle to obey god
What keeps you from saying yes? Peter said yes and still felt unworthy. <laughs> but he knew his place. He was still master. What keeps you from saying yes? Fear? Trust? It sounds super irrational. Feeling possessive? Cynical? Wow, if I really spoke out with my faith, I might get labeled at one of those Christians. Reputation? God is inviting us to take steps of obedience, even if and when it doesn't all add up. God, help us to pay attention and then help us to respond in kind. We want faith to be a transformational proposition. And only you can do that. So I pray for my friends today that we would just have a personal encounter with you, that we would have an experiential walk with you, that the testimony of Mission Hills community is that, boy, they've got a living, breathing, active faith. Even when it's combined with doubt and cynicism and fear and inconvenience and discomfort, we just declare that you are Lord, not just Savior, but Lord of all. We worship you in spirit and in truth, in strength and in weakness. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray.